Tonight's story is somewhat unique and calls for a different kind of introduction. Today we are canceling the apocalypse! Wait a minute, wait a minute. You ain't heard nothing yet. And uh, this is? Lilu Dallas Multipass. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Houston, we have a problem. Have you tried turning it off and on again? Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Now, where was I? Welcome to episode 127 of the Blokebusters podcast. I'm Paul, and today we're going to be talking about Pixar. Yep, Pixar. The entirety of Pixar. Because why would I make it easy on myself? Uh, however, uh, to do so, I have got a couple of people in from a lovely podcast called Defining Disney Podcast. It's Caroline and Nicole. How are you guys doing? Hello. We're good. Doing good. Having a ball. Excited to be talking about something outside of the main canon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is outside our current scope of our, our main show, so uh, we get to talk about something new. Yes, yes, but not too far out. I don't want to you know, oh, no. stretch you too thin. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yes, uh, so first thing first, going to get all the boring stuff out of the way that everyone hates listening to. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Blokebusters. You can go to blokebusters.com if you want to look at a lovely little website that I put together. You can email us, theblokes at blokebusters.com, if you want to give us a really long-form letter about how boring we are. Uh, or you can, if you want to help us just keep going, we do have a Patreon, Blokebusters, shocker. Um, and, uh, yeah, even just a dollar a month would uh, help just, you know, pay a little bit of the server cost yay but uh, there we go that's all that stuff that no one cares about out of the way and let's get into it so uh, uh, yes basically for this i decided that trying to pick from a the pixar entire canon is just a little bit too difficult because there are so many films that we can go into detail about so i thought let's not do that at all and just kind of do a good freeform discussion about pixar as a whole and um, so my first question then to both of you would be to the best of your recollection what was the first pixar film you guys saw toy story so yeah toy story was actually my first film in theaters i was a grand total of two years old <laughs> but I very clearly remember seeing that movie in theaters. Okay. I mean, I could imagine to a two-year-old it might be a little bit frightening. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I probably. I don't remember running screaming out of the theater like I do with some of the uh, 3D shows that were at Disney World uh, back in that era. Uh, very, very clear memories of running screaming out of uh, honey, I Shrunk the Audience 3D, and it's tough to be a bug um, at Animal Kingdom in in the early days of those uh, shows. And I was even older in those because Animal Kingdom didn't open until I was five. <laughs> so, yes, you, you'd uh, you'd basically just developed your fight or flight response at that <laughs> exactly. point. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, Pixar yeah. has has uh, shaped the development of uh, many a child in our generation. Uh, we are both products of the 90s, so... 
you know, Pixar was an integral piece of that. And we're also obviously uh, very Disney centric in our world. So uh, Pixar was was one of those collaborations that just made total sense. Um, I don't remember going to theaters for Toy Story, but I definitely remember owning it on VHS in the 90s and watching it over and over and over again. Um, You know, when I look back on it, it was definitely a movie that was um, probably geared a little bit more towards boys just because of our main characters, very boy centric, Uh, you know, very much the the development that Andy goes through and, you know, him, him choosing his favorite toys and, and going through that struggle. But, um, I really enjoyed it as a kid. And then I also really strongly remember, um, A Bug's Life when it came out. Cause it was like, oh, the same people that are doing Toy Story are doing A Bug's Life. I'm really interested in this as a child. Um, but I, I was, and, uh, I remember, I remember definitely going to see A Bug's Life in theaters. I'm sure I saw Toy Story in theaters, um, because I was, think five or six um when it came out but i absolutely remember watching it on vhs a whole lot Um, my family had the disney masterpiece collection and my dad and i would argue over whose masterpiece collection it was because he might have spent the money on it but emotionally it was mine because i was the child (laughs) (laughs) i was the one that watched it over and over and over again and got all all the value out of uh, spending that money Yeah, I feel like when my daughter grows up, we're going to be the same with that because, yeah, I I definitely do feel ownership over some of the, the things that we watch, even though we watch it together. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yes, um, I, let's see, I would have been eight when Toy Story first came out. Uh, I don't know how close it came out in England as um, over here because I know that sometimes they're staggered they're definitely um, pretty much same day now but I think back then they were uh, at least a week or so apart but uh, yeah I I think uh, I I would have been (laughs) taken to see Toy Story and pretty much every other Pixar film um, up to a certain point I've been trying to think where the cutoff was because I know I saw Finding Nemo in the cinema. I know I saw The Incredibles in the cinema. I definitely saw like Ratatouille, Wally, Up, and those. Uh, but I, I, I don't remember when like it went from me being taken to see it to me choosing to go and see it in the cinema. Uh, um, like I, I can I, make I an educated guess. <laughs> I know my cutoff. Was, I know mine. Uh, <laughs> Cars. That was the last time we were taken to see a Pixar movie, and I actually missed Ratatouille in theaters. Um, okay. I I don't know why. It just we missed it that year. Apparently, that might have been you know we might have been on vacation when it came out, and then you know too focused on summer schoolwork because I had a lot of that when I was in middle school. And then I remember choosing to go see Wall-E, and that was one of my first. My, my first movie is like sitting by my quote unquote by myself in the theater. Really, my parents were like four or five rows back, but I got to sit with my friends like up closer separately from them because that was what you did when you were a teenager having, you know, an independence crisis. <laughs> Wouldn't know always went to go see Disney movies and Pixar movies with my family. That was a, a, a thing for us. We didn't actually go to theaters very often for anything else. Uh, Disney was basically it for us. 
so the first Pixar film that I went to independently um, without... Um, no, no, I might have gone with my parents anyway, but I was over 18 was Toy Story 3 in 2010. I was actually working for Disney at the time um, and they were doing a whole lot of um, cast premieres and things like that um, on top of it. So I, I definitely went to that one. That was that was the clear cutoff for me was I was actually working on my own, working for the company and uh, seeing seeing that one in theaters, bald like baby. Because of course you did. If you did not cry during Toy Story 3, uh, I can't relate to you can't help you it, it was sad <laughs> and after you've been invested in something for so many years you know it was a beautiful ending but you know bald like a bitch <laughs> um yeah i i didn't <laughs> um i my my former co-host would happily tell you i have uh, uh, just a heart of ice um or at least i did um before my daughter was born um a little different now, depending yeah, on the that situation. That can change a person. <laughs> um, I mean, still, um, uh, like lots of that stuff still doesn't like get me. Just like, wait. <laughs> Just wait till she grows up and she's going off to college, and you watch that movie again. You will also ball like a bitch. I can I'm tell you that possible. because my dad does not cry at movies, and he cried at that movie because I was going off to college the same time that Andy was. That was that was the summer before my senior year, and I was very close to that threshold of leaving and going off to college, and my parents had, like, a crisis. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I can tell you my daughter was born before Toy Story 4 came out, so, um, like, at the end of that one, and, you know, in case it isn't obvious at this point, everyone, spoilers for pretty much every Pixar film. Um, Surprise. Um, but yes, um, at the end of Toy Story 4, uh, and I know that that film has had its fair share of naysayers and everything, but uh, I I actually appreciated the way that they ended that one. Um, I, I kind of liked the fact that they let Woody go. <laughs> like uh, yeah, the the one guy that never would have gone, he finally understands what it means to to move on, uh, <laughs> even though technically he should have got it at the end of the third one. But anyway, that's beside <laughs> <laughs> the point. Uh, but yeah, that that bit at the end where he's finally letting go, so yeah, oh, okay, like I I can see like that hitting people. I can definitely like I was thinking back to the third one and kind of getting why that would have uh, hit people hard. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I was trying to think about it as you guys were talking, like the cutoff for me, I, I think I can tell you for sure now when the cutoff was, cause I know I was taken to see the Incredibles, but I definitely did not go and see Cars. And I can, I can tell you that for a fact, because I still have not seen all of Cars. Really? Uh, wow. Yeah, My younger sibling was obsessed with Cars growing up. That was, they actually had like... Uh, cars themed like bedroom stuff like that they were they were into it um but i mean they were also uh fairly young i want to say six or seven when when cars came out so 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 relatively young definitely within the the age range that it was gearing towards or aiming towards um but I I personally have only seen Cars 3 once and I have never seen Cars 2 and have not seen 
planes either because we don't talk about those. Uh, yeah, Planes is not an official Pixar movie. It is a Disney Toon Studios film, and uh, it can stay that way. Bad. Uh, <laughs> um, I've seen all three of the Cars films. Granted, I have also only seen Cars 3 once the whole way through. I've seen it in bits and pieces, um, just having seen clips and, like, it having been on when I would visit friends uh, around the recreation uh, areas that I used to work in when I was still living in Orlando. Um, but, uh, not, not Pixar's brightest moment necessarily. I would, I would say, and this is, I have to put the disclaimer out there. The only Pixar film I haven't seen is the good dinosaur. And I know it is also down there in terms of, uh, not Pixar's best work. Um, but I think that I can still confidently say that cars two was probably their low point. (laughs) Yeah, I've heard, I've heard bad things about uh, Cars Two. Definitely, um, I like I say I've seen half of Cars, and I haven't seen anything of Two or Three um, outside of the trailer for Three, which made it look awesome. I'll, per- I'll freely admit, Three uh, was that- definitely better than Two. Okay, <laughs> yeah, uh, I- that not a high bar to clear necessarily, but it was better. <laughs> it was an improvement. Yeah, and uh, and I will say I did very recently go to Disney World and uh, I went to see the Cars show thing that they've got there and it is quite impressive actually like this how recently um last month oh yep (laughs) I did not know that they were running the Cars show again already yep um and uh and obviously this will date this exactly but uh, yeah um it's basically the way that the the benches are, um, for those who remember, uh, every other bench is blocked off, and then there's enough room for two or three parties, depending on the size of the parties per bench that is open. So, yeah, obviously it's not uh, not wide open to everyone. Um, so, yeah, queues can be a bit long, but uh, no, it, it was it was good, even for someone that has not really gotten into the the cars um canon i i know the characters enough that i i got the majority of it and i i have gleaned enough of the story even though i've not seen the films uh that i was able to follow what was going on and uh um it's just a very good show but i was very impressed with the technology <laughs> that they had there um because yeah I, when i heard it was there and it was something that we would be able to do with my daughter when uh, we were all there i was like well kind of got to try it <laughs> and uh and i would say it was worth the wait while we were there but we only waited for about 20 minutes so yeah park capacity uh, is still uh pretty limited from my understanding yeah yes it is uh, 35 percent at this point um which is which still being at 35 percent capacity um in magic kingdom some of the ride wait times were in excess of 70 minutes wow so, oh yeah. yeah i don't doubt it <laughs> Yeah. I do um, not. I do not miss those cues, man. I really don't. <laughs> and of course, they got rid of the. They did get rid of fast pass, but they had just brought them back. Mm-hmm. But also, not really. It's like, like super very, limited, right? Yeah, like really limited, and also like you couldn't get them on the days. Basically, you had to be a Disney Vacation Club member to even stand a chance of getting any mm. of them. And only some of the rides had them. 
and even so, they weren't handing many out, so like it would, there would basically be no point in even trying. Um, yeah. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, back to Pixar. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I... Okay, so obviously you mentioned that um, you haven't seen The Good Dinosaur, and everyone now knows I haven't seen any of the Cars film. Uh, what what about uh, what about you, Nicole? What uh, have you seen all of the Pixar films? Are there any that have uh, passed you by? Um, I didn't see Good Dinosaur. That was the only one that I had missed, other than Cars Two. Um, Good Dinosaur is on Disney Plus, but since it doesn't get a whole lot of fanfare, I just um, haven't gotten around to watching it. It's it's funny because I was actually watching a bunch of not technically watching my. My two dogs um, like watching movies while my husband and I are working from home. So a lot of times we just turn on Disney Plus and just let movies run all day. Um, it's like having perpetual toddlers, but like one of them <laughs> literally sits on my couch and watches TV like it's insane. Um, okay. But sorry, so, sorry to cut you off here, then, but um, <laughs> this is too easy a plug to pass out. Um, have you found Bluey yet on Disney Plus? No. Put Bluey on and see if your dogs enjoy that. It is a it is a kids television show. Uh, it's a cartoon show from I've Australia. Heard really great things about it from all of my parent friends. Oh, it's awesome! Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it's about like the entire cast of uh, characters in the show are anthropomorphic dogs, huh. and uh, and it's the main character. The main characters are Bluey and Bingo. Uh, who are uh, two girls in this family, and they've got uh, mum and dad. And the, every single episode, there is uh, a different sort of imaginative play game that they play. And you know, all of the parents join in, including all of the neighbors and stuff like. Like it's just everyone just joins in <laughs> these things. Uh, so I feel like your dogs might enjoy that. Um, there are fifty-two seven-minute episodes in the first season, and the second season will be dropping at some point in the next few months. Oh yeah, my dogs could knock that out in like a couple days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, other than Good Dinosaur and Cars Two, um, I've seen all of them, and um, I, I've actually watched through most of them recently, or, or listened in on most of them recently because of my dogs. Um, <laughs> actually, I think the last the last one we watched all the way through was Ratatouille. Um, Okay. But that day we had also had Cars on and Inside Out and Soul. So we kind of just hit a bunch. You know, when when Disney just starts like saying, like suggesting additional films, like I'm down the rabbit hole at that point. I'm like, sure, that looks like a good one to turn on next. And like seven hours (laughs) later, like all I've been doing (laughs) is sitting in front of my TV, listening to whatever movies on in front of me and like doing something on my phone or on my laptop or something like time just disappears. It's, it's, it's scary. It's like a void. It's like a Disney void. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, <laughs> they, they are very good at doing that somehow. Um, so, all right, then uh, we should probably figure out what are your favorite Pixar films and why then? Do you want to go first or me? You can go first. Okay. Um, well, uh, I kind of go back and forth between Wally and Up, personally. Um, okay. That was kind of like the 
those were two of my most influential films, particularly in my college years when I was really learning to like do film analysis and pick things apart like this. Um, Wally, the music for me just sets it apart and the fact that it accomplishes so much story and character wise without any dialogue in the first half of the film like is bonkers <laughs> uh and and the visuals are just absolutely gorgeous and the uh, yeah. <sighs> michael giacchino's soundtrack sorry no michael giacchino's up thomas newman's soundtrack is iconic you can pick out pretty much any moment of the film just from the soundtrack alone yeah. And then for Up, I mean, Michael Giacchino, come on. Uh, his his opening, it's called Married Life. Those first opening nine minutes tell more of a story than some films tell in an hour and a half. Yeah. And yeah the, <laughs> I, I love that meme where it is uh, like just a couple of screenshots from that opening. And it's like, now come on, Pixar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't come to up to be bowling, okay? <laughs> right. No, the the first the first ten minutes are definitely some of the most emotionally impactful minutes that Pixar has ever kind of crammed in all together. I would say that Up is also one of my most quoted films, particularly like with my family. Uh, we we do a lot of uh, Doug and Russell quotes in this house. So hi, my master <laughs> made me this collar so that I may squirrel. <laughs> Hi there. Yeah, the um there was actually something I saw yesterday that was uh um it was a bit from when they first run into Doug mm-hmm. and it's when they say speak. Hi there. It's like the biggest <laughs> the biggest <laughs> twist in Pixar. Biggest plot history. twist. <laughs> yeah, definitely uh one of the most surprising moments, I think. Uh and yeah, um the uh the cone of shame. I, think, I do not uh, like the cone of shame. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, definitely good. I, I think Up's got some of my favorite bits in it, yeah. but um, uh, not, not probably not my favorite. I think my my favorite out of the Pixar films is probably, and it's difficult because I have the one that I probably enjoy watching the most, and or rewatching, I guess I should say the most. Uh, which is Finding Nemo. However, Monsters Inc. I personally think is Both solid the choices. best Pixar film. Um, like just I I think the characters in Monsters Inc. Um, even like just Mike and Sully are the best um, you know, duo that has been on screen in a Pixar film. Um, I mean, you know, you got the epic John Goodman. Um, as Sully just knocks out of the park, and then um, yeah, Billy Crystal as as Mike is just hilarious, so delightfully wound up and high strung, um, uh, and and yeah, the the outtakes again, like probably some oh, yeah. of the best outtakes as well <laughs> in Pixar history, right there. Yeah, so. I love I love how they animate outtakes for a lot of their earlier films. I think it's it, it really adds a lot of character to the movie as a whole. And it, like I think um, to to tangent here <laughs> before before we do get back to Nicole to find her answer to the question, um, but uh, yeah, I think I think my my favorite singular 
outtake and um because uh, i mean obviously you've got things that felt like actual outtakes in the beginning and then you jump cut to the ones that are um like clearly just little bits that they've decided to put in uh and then right when it was on that transition the first the first time i felt it was incredibly obvious that they'd written this for something and they're really just having fun with it um is one from toy story 2 when you've got uh flick uh and yes. um, the caterpillar yes. <laughs> well it's not a bug <laughs> like, life too <laughs> yeah it's just like yeah it's a two movie but uh it's not a bug life too well i mean what do you mean <laughs> and then yeah buzz cutting through <laughs> it was uh yeah i think that probably my favorite just little um outtake in quotation marks um but yes uh so nicole uh what is your favorite pixar film so i do have to say that the mike and sully chemistry on monsters inc is unmatched i don't think that there is any pair in the in the pixar canon that has better chemistry i mean even when you're looking at like buzz and woody and toy story um tim allen and tom hanks have great chemistry but i, I think that it was so organic and natural um, for John Goodman and Billy Crystal, that it just it was just perfect. Um, I would I would say that I would have a really difficult time picking a favorite for Pixar, um, just because for whatever reason I really um, enjoyed Pixar movies a lot more in my um, like preteens and teen years. Um, because that's really when Pixar was like really ramping up, doing movies every one or two years. My younger sibling was really into them also. Um, I would I would say though, if if I were to have to pick right now, um, I would do. say I would say the uh, the original Incredibles. And uh, I mean, yeah, the, uh, the best Fantastic Four film that's ever been made. Right, there. <laughs> right, right. That, that we're ever probably ever gonna get. Um, I absolutely adore everything about it. Um, I think the soundtrack is so perfect. I don't think you could have possibly made it any better um, because it really embraced that classic superhero theme, the 1960s aesthetic. Edna mode, like you have got to be kidding me, icon. Um, the syndrome as the villain is perfection. Um, you know, when another widely quoted, movie another widely quoted <laughs> movie. Um, and then, you know, also seeing things like superheroes adjusting to real life, Bob Parr being in an office environment after spending all this time as a superhero. Um, some of the most relatable content as an office worker, um, in my life. <laughs> so I've only come to appreciate it more as an adult, um yeah. just, just and, everything about it yeah and some of the things that they were able to sneak in as well um especially uh i i'm gonna guess you've seen the jack jack attack short oh yes yeah. um so yeah the bit when uh syndrome turns up and he's saying like this the s stands for sitter sitter you can have babysitter but then you'd have bs and you know you can't have that <laughs> <laughs> and kari's so, just sitting there like dead panning <laughs> yeah my my um uh my favorite fan like fan theory from uh from most of pixar actually comes from that which is that uh kari even though she has a memory wiped it doesn't fully go away and she ends up training phil colson oh. for <laughs> shield that's funny oh yeah i could buy that headcanon totally accepted that. I'm okay with accepting yeah. headcanon like that. <laughs> I also have to give um, 
honorable mention though to Ratatouille because I think that that's a wonderful film. And then also, if I'm pulling from the recent films, Coco. Yeah, uh, because Coco oh my god a very special place in our hearts yeah. and also uh just we've seen it so many times so our niece um and i say our because she's not technically blood related to us but the there is a third best friend in this circle and her daughter uh her name is Gemma. when she was young the only thing that would calm her down when she was crying hysterically was if you would put on coco for her she would drop everything and just sit there and stare at the screen. Absolutely fascinated. That is the movie that she learned to dance to. Uh, we, her, her first hmm. video of her dancing is to... Um, Was it Un Poco un po- Loco? Yeah, Un Poco Loco. Uh, and <laughs> so she is... That, that movie will forever hold a special place in our hearts because of her and the way that she just absolutely obsessed over that movie when she was tiny mm-hmm. <laughs> and and yeah. even still today it's one of the few things that will get her to completely calm down like i i've been in the car with the three of them with with her and her parents and the the two things that they can put on because she hates being in the car hates it two things <laughs> they can put on are the coco soundtrack and the critical role theme song and those are the only things that will get her to stop crying <laughs> in the car well, it's, I mean... it's magical. Like, I have video of it <laughs> happening. Just, like, her completely, like, bawling, wailing, hysterical. And then the song comes on and she, like, shuts down. <laughs> like, flips a switch. And she's yeah. fine. Until it's over. And then we, you know, normally take up our... Back to screaming again. Yeah. We're back to screaming. Now, here's the thing. Have they tried the D&D Beyond song as well? Um, I, I, I feel like know. they should try that. If she's into the Critical Role theme tune, I think... D and D Beyond one would be a, a That's good entirely shout. Possible. I don't know if they've tried that one, but I mean, <laughs> she she grew in the womb to the sounds of Matt Mercer and Critical Role <laughs> cast. That that was really when when Kate and Rory dove deep into D and D, and so she is she she knows Matt's voice and like has pointed to the TV and said Matt. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Um, yeah. They- they should just play a whole bunch of, uh, what is it, Overwatch? Just, oh, uh, gosh. <laughs> just <laughs> that. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, that's interesting. All right. Uh, yeah, I... But uh, it, t- talking about Coco and the music kind of leads me into the... One of, one of the really big things about Pixar for me is the music. Uh, I mentioned, you know, Thomas Newman and Michael Giacchino in terms of Wally and Up, but, like... Michael Giacchino also did the Incredibles soundtrack, which, as Nicole mentioned, is iconic. It's incredible to yeah. continue punning off of things because that's what I do. Yeah, and, and um, uh, obviously, like, even even though those soundtracks are, you know, objectifiably the better ones, uh, there's no doubt which one is the most famous, the most iconic when it comes to Pixar. And that would be your man, Randy Newman. Oh. Uh, just, uh, yeah, there's... I mean, there's the, there's a reason he's won many Oscars for his his work for uh, film. His And and the reason he was pretty much the exclusive Pixar uh, composer for the first... For six years, I think it was. For six years of their studio, yeah. Or, or longer, because I don't know if he scored their shorts as well. Uh, entirely possible. 
Yeah, and then uh, and then they got Thomas Newman to do Finding Nemo. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, fun thing that I, I actually did not know until today that uh, Thomas Newman scored The Shawshank Redemption, which is oh. uh, uh, my favorite film of all time. Yeah, cer- certainly a wide variety there between Shawshank Redemption and Finding Nemo. Yeah, <laughs> but both yeah. both iconic scores, so you yes. know it, it it tracks. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. We've we've Absolutely. we've found we've found iconic uh, a score uh, directors and producers and creators uh, all over the Disney canon, and and we're like, wow, why why is this music so great? Um, probably the best one that we've done so far is Atlantis uh, from the original canon. It's James Newton Howard. And uh, if you're not familiar with James Newton Howard, yes, you are. You know his music. You just don't know his I name. You do. You prom- I promise <laughs> you know him. Um, and it's 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 amazing the talent that they can bring in for soundtracks. And if you have a good composer um, for your soundtracks, how much of an impact that has on a film. Um, there's a there's a TikTok trend that's going around of you know uh, tell me tell me a scene from a movie that would have been been be- better if you had replaced the song. Um, that was in the background, you know, just kind of symbolizing that that necessity of good music behind a given scene and and what makes an iconic scene so great. Um, you know, obviously, we've all got we've all got our opinions, but but really, at the heart of the matter, it's you know if if you have a good composer um, to give you that that heartbeat behind what you're seeing on film, it really elevates what you've got on screen. Oh yeah, and um, actually, uh, I was gonna say, have you, have you guys touched on Tarzan yet? We've not, not yet. I'm very yeah, excited I'm to cover excited Tarzan, to but Tarzan. <laughs> we have covered Brother Bear, which is the other Disney film that Phil Collins uh, composed for, and that is also just some real quality work. Not not <laughs> as iconic or well known, certainly, probably just because of how well the films did compared to each other tarzan was you know a smash and brother bear was uh, a drop in the bucket um but no phil phil collins work on both both disney films that he's done work for has been absolutely incredible he didn't have to go that hard for us but he did but he did and we are grateful <laughs> for that every day so grateful yes absolutely <laughs> um uh now what one thing that i I really enjoyed music wise um, and you can probably guess just based on where I'm from um, but uh, the music in Brave I thought was just some of the the nicest to listen to um, I really enjoyed the Celtic music uh, especially um, in the opening when Merida is uh, riding off on the horse um, mm-hmm. <laughs> that that song might be my favorite song in all of Pixar wow. actually High praise. It's it's definitely up there for me. I have a lot of Scotch Irish heritage, Celtic heritage, and so does my husband. And so that film is it's really enjoyable for us because we want we we feel so connected to that piece of our heritage, and we really want to explore that landscape further someday. I have gotten to go, but he has not, and it's been a long time. It's been. 11 years since I was in the UK so um, we yeah. we really get a, a kick out of Brave and uh, enjoy all of the gorgeous landscape shots and the Celtic music and uh, just all together a beautiful film yeah I, I growing up in England I have been to Scotland 
that I can remember one time. Really? Um, yeah, and I was definitely too young to appreciate the fact that I was in the heart of Scotland um, <laughs> because uh, we went up. Uh, it was um, uh, it was my family and another family. We went up and stayed in a, uh, a house that uh, I believe belonged to someone in the family of the other family. And so we were up there for about a week, uh, I think. I might be wrong on that, but I, I feel like it was about that long. Um, and my main memory of that time, and it wasn't until I was thinking it through um, about a year ago that I realized uh, how odd <laughs> it was. Uh, we, it was myself, and I was about 13, 14 at the time, uh, my dad and the dad from the, the family that we went, uh, we cycled from the house to a pub that was about 40 minutes cycle away. Um, and so, you know, we got there, uh, play, I played a little bit of pool there, um, my dad and, uh, and the other dad had something to drink, I had a Diet Coke, um, or whatever, and then we put the bikes on the car and drove back. And it wasn't until I was thinking about that recently that I was like, I think that was done in the wrong order. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and I'm sure that one of the two of them stopped at the one pint, um, but but I didn't really think think about it at the time. Well, it's funny you say that. So I spent a week in Scotland um, when I was in high school. My uh, high school theater fest. My high school theater program was invited to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival as part of a delegation from the American High School Theater Festival. And Lucky. so I got to spend a week in London. I did a, a workshop at the Globe and got to go to some cool museums. We stayed at the University of London. And then we took a train, if I remember correctly, to Edinburgh and yep. stayed at the University of Edinburgh for a week and got to busk on the Royal Mile and do three performances. Um, we, The show we did that year was Sweeney Todd, which of course is a two hour <laughs> plus show. Um, but if you're going to be in the French Festival, your show is 90 minutes. You get 15 minutes on either side to set up and tear down. And then there is someone else in your venue on the dot right after you. So yep. we had to cut a lot out of that show. <laughs> it, was, it was a process for sure. And you know, the venue that we were in was also fairly small and we couldn't uh, transport eight foot tall set pieces across the Atlantic Ocean. So there was yep. a lot of improvising done, but uh, it was it was an incredible trip. And I got to climb Arthur's seat and see a uh, a fife and drum show uh, at the castle on the Royal Mile, which the name currently escapes me. But it just an iconic tourist location. But it was it was just really cool to be there. But it was a long time ago, and I really want to go back. Yeah, I I sadly had not been to Edinburgh, let alone to the Fringe, which is incredibly annoying to me, given I am a huge stand up comedy fan. Uh, many of my favorite comedians have uh, done their sets at uh, the Fringe. In fact. Um, when you were there at the Fringe, I'm willing to bet any money that one of my most favorite comedians of all time was 
at that point somewhere else in Edinburgh doing his set at the <laughs> it Fringe. It is so. entirely possible. I was there summer of 2010. Yeah, yeah. this guy, um, he pseudo-retired about a year ago, uh, but he had been going for like 18 years before that. So wow. yeah, he would have been at the Fringe. So, yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, there were a lot so. of cool shows we saw ads for and people went and go, went went to go see that just not everybody had the chance to go to because there was so much happening. So yeah, like, no, it, it is impossible to see everything. Yeah, literally every pub, every club, every venue in the entire city pretty much is filled with some either comic or uh, improv or just straight up like theater show um, for a week, a week straight, pretty much. And it's, it's an incredible just celebration of drama and performance art and every different kind of theater you could ever imagine. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, and uh, kind of springboarding off that, um, I will say, obviously, the the films that Pixar put out, um, uh, they've actually rarely run the gamut. Like there's. There's so many different things that they've covered, uh, but I do find it a little bit telling that so far, pretty much every film that we've talked about that we've enjoyed or that we've really shone a spotlight on has been one that wasn't a sequel. <laughs> so like, we, we haven't, like you mentioned Toy Story 3 and uh, the, the ending part of that and um, uh, I touched on Toy Story 4 a little bit, but we haven't really gone into any detail about uh, where we think the Toy Story films stand, where Incredibles 2 stand, like, uh, and uh, Monsters University as well, because obviously Monsters, Inc. was such a huge film. And, uh, you know, the joke was when Monsters University and when Incredibles 2 were coming out, that even though they were going to be aimed at the, uh, the young kid market, you were going to be seeing a lot of, adults going by themselves to see yep. these films when they came out because you know we've done our waiting 12 years of it in azkaban um so you know it and yet we haven't really talked about those so uh so what are your feeling on how pixar have handled the sequels to these films because obviously i mean the toy story sequels and the car sequels those feel like there are pretty much on the cards um when the first films came out it was like okay there's room for more they they clearly set them up um but the the other ones uh like uh, monsters university finding dory and incredibles 2 um how do you think those three um are compared to the originals i don't think that anything that they were going to be able to put out was going to be the originals or have the same type of emotional impact as no. the originals. Um, you yeah, can no always, way. you can always strike gold with a sequel. Um, occasionally like with toy story three, I think we're all very much on the same page for toy story three. Um, but I think trying to um, reliably assume that that's going to happen with any, with any and all sequels is, is too high of, of, of a threshold. Um, however, that said, I do think that out of the three, I would say I enjoyed Monsters University the most. 
um, because it was more of a prequel than a sequel. And, um, you know, even though it came out obviously many years after, um, it, it did world, it it did the world building that we cared about. Um, and, and it, and it gave us more insight into the relationship between Mike and Sully that we all came to know and love. You know, earlier I said that Mike and Sully have the best chemistry in, in probably anything Pixar has put out. And because that prequel focused on that, I think that's where its success lied. Um, I would say that with Finding Dory, it was super cute. Um, I really liked getting more of Dory's origin story. I loved meeting the additional characters. Um, but Dory also went through some major rewrites on their climax and ending um, due to some controversy that was going on at the time um, with animals in captivity. So I think that the, the film took a hit in that department. Um, and then Incredibles 2, I think, from my perspective, was good. I don't hate it. Um, I love that um, Elastigirl was able to have her own moment and that we were able to focus on her. Um, I personally would have loved to see them have gone more in the, like, mutants realm and focus on the kids more. Um, you know, there is, there is that really great scene with Jack-Jack when they actually discover his powers and it's not a secret anymore that, you know, he has these specific powers that we saw in Jack-Jack Attack all those years ago, but, um. Nom-nom cookie. Nom-nom cookie, like, come on, like, amazing. And then Edna loving him and, you know, wanting to babysit all the time because, like, they, they form this bond. Absolutely wonderful. So it, it has some really good high points. Uh, I I don't think the villain was the antagonist was yeah the the antagonist just didn't we we didn't have the buy in on it um you yeah. know it was it was about a family that we didn't really care about and like with syndrome we met him as a child in the opening sequence and because of that interaction at the very beginning when that reveal happened of who syndrome was there was that major emotional impact and you weren't gonna get that from this film so. Overall, solid sequel was never going to live up to the original. But, I mean, I don't think it does a disservice to the franchise like uh, Cars 2. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. No, I, I would um, also say that Monsters University is what I enjoy the most out of those three. I also just love the music in both of the Monsters films. I, since you mentioned the music in the first one... I've been sitting here humming the like drumline theme from Monsters U. It's so catchy <laughs> and it will sometimes just like pop into my head unbidden because I enjoy it so much. Oh, also the mom listening to heavy metal in the yes! van, that's me. <laughs> that's me in 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 the Monsters world just by the way. I don't have kids, <laughs> but like that's me, just like a middle-aged person sitting in like a, a, a moderate sized like minivan or SUV rocking out to metal. Banging out to like metal. just normal, just every day. Yeah. Listen to your tunes. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> just listen to my tunes. Like the kids can call me old, I don't care. I I'm I'm, I'm good. Yeah, and I I, I really did enjoy what they did with Monsters University. Um uh, I I will freely admit I was hoping that we would get uh, a time skip and somehow bring an adult brew back in some way. Um, and I, I'm trying to remember it's it 
it's not coming to my mind, but I'm trying to remember something because there was a, a f- another fan theory out there that Boo grows up to be someone else from uh, the Pixar canon. And uh, I, I'm trying to remember who it was. I think it it's might the have witch been. In Brave. Yes, that was it. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, if you think about it, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> Just because of the uh, uh, the bedroom and everything. However, so the Pixar theory, if you go to the website, <laughs> actually strangely makes a lot of sense. And I really want oh, yeah. to do some bonus content on it at some point on our show. Um, <laughs> but it's it's pretty crazy how effortlessly they connect a lot of these films. Some of them are a reach. Don't get me wrong. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I I think. I'm not sure if they've kept it up over the years, but as of as of Brave, they had connected all 13 films, which that in and of itself was pretty incredible. Yeah, and yeah, it, it, it's really really interesting like how some of these things get now. Obviously, every single film they've done has in some way alluded to what the next film's going to be, so there's going to be those organic connections anyway, mm-hmm. uh, and then. Uh, just because of the nature of the technology as they were going through, there's only so many like yeah you know, head shapes and uh, things like that. So you know characters are going to have similar dimensions and stuff. So it'll again be easier to pull one from the other and go, well, this could be this and this and all that. But it's like I yeah I, I really enjoy like looking into looking into that because it um, the other one I wish I could remember. Um, and and maybe you'll you'll have heard this one as well. Uh, but it's like um, there's a theory about which dimension it is that Jack Jack is going into when he tra- when he phases into the other realm. And it's like and it's supposed to be that um, because of something that some of the uh, some of the other characters and some of the other films are saying uh, or drawing or something like that. Oh no! It is that he floats into the Monsters Inc. Um, universe <laughs> because of that bit in the uh, the news report where the guy's like, "Yeah, the the kid sh- flew by and shot a laser beam." That was eyes. Blasted a like, car this- with its laser vision. <laughs> it's true. I saw the whole thing. <laughs> There's like, yeah. It could be that he genuinely, like that, genuinely did happen, and it's completely unrelated to the fact that Boo was at the restaurant. Um, but yeah, it's uh, I I do like how it is quite, especially since all of these films are just centered around all of the weird premises. That it's somewhat easy to stick them all together like that. Um, now, now I will say, yeah, you know, most of these, um, yeah, and Inside Out, we. I think has popped up once, uh, but uh, yeah, a, a solid study into emotions and how they can you know, control you and how they should. Um, Definitely, like, and it's, and it's another one of those that uh, has has some significant nostalgia factor um, for for both of us, but mostly me. Um, that was <laughs> the first uh, double date movie that we did with our now husbands. Um, and that was, uh, the night that my husband said, I love you for the first time to me. 
um, because I went out. It, it started absolutely pouring rain while we were standing in line for tickets. And at this particular theater in Disney Springs, you stand in line outside to buy your tickets. And so we very quickly made the decision, okay, Steven's going to stay outside and everybody else run inside and he will come bring the tickets when we're done. Um, so the three of us went inside and then I felt really bad leaving him out there by himself. So I went to stand out there with him and got just absolutely drenched to the bone. But he still says to this day, that's the moment when he realized he was in love with me. Uh, I I was going to (laughs) say, it's a good thing you told the story, because then it's like, so going to see a film about a girl that wants to run away from home because she doesn't feel happiness is what made him realize. (laughs) No, I think it was all the feelings that were just like associated with that film. Because like you were just like, you you were tapped out on feelings. In your feelings. at, at, At the end of it. Like even if you're not a crying person, you were just at the end of it like, oh my God, we've talked about so many feelings and 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 talking about complex emotions and um i would i would say that inside out is a is a is a good film um for for people that are trying to work through complicated emotions um because you know we we have those five foundational um emotions that that they talk about but as riley is learning about herself she's recognizing that you know emotions are a lot more complicated than those five cores they can be a combination of one or, you know, a combination of two or three or all of them, you know, and, and that journey of understanding that emotions are complicated is, is very important to recognize. Um, and, you know, as, as someone who has gone to therapy for many, many years, um, you know, in order to, in order to understand myself and better myself, um, that I think is a really important lesson. And it's a very complicated concept to unpack, um, but I think Disney did a very good job of, of making it, you know, as um, digestible for the masses as possible, especially for, for younger children. I think that it's it's an important thing to represent on film um, and being able to just to understand and unpack those concepts is, is really critical. And and also uh, just as a <laughs> completely uh, random sighting as well, um, joy and uh, bing bong in the film very much the um you know the pixar version of drop dead fred uh i don't know if you guys have seen that film but uh i haven't (laughs) okay um solid film uh rick mail like anyone who has seen anything rick mail has done understand like how smart that guy was at and he played dumb characters like he would (laughs) like pretty much without fail he played people who have clearly been hit on the head too many times um like uh uh do you know who rick mail is do you recognize the name yes i know rick okay okay yeah so obviously uh, blackadder is my go-to um just because uh flash heart and blackadder is uh kind of what i immediately jumped to because i wasn't um uh i I didn't watch Bottom as much. Uh, that was uh, a show that was um, very popular in England. Um, obviously, the Young Ones. Um, for for anyone that is a fan of old English comedy, like the Young Ones is uh, the the punk <laughs> the punk <laughs> era and has so many fantastic bits in it. Um, 
Uh, and then he was also supposed to be Peeves in the Harry Potter film, but his role got cut. Um, and it shouldn't have. <laughs> However, uh, sadly, uh, his passing would have meant that uh, um, even if his role hadn't been cut from the first film, we wouldn't have got the um, the epic give him hell peeves mm-hmm. um, scene. Um, At least so, not from him. They may have recast. Yeah, no, but... no, and that and I mean, I I can understand recasting Dumbledore. I get that 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 works because there's no way you can't recast Dumbledore. But I feel like they would have just cut the character moving mm-hmm. forward, and that would and then it just wouldn't have worked. So. Um, but yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, uh, Drop Dead Fred, Rick Mayle plays um, a imaginary friend and the main character is a woman that had him as, a, as an imaginary friend, grew up, forgot about him, and then he comes back. Ah. And yeah, he he pretty much, yeah, he very much plays the imaginary friend and like the, the dynamic there, very similar to kind of Joy and Bing Bong. Yeah. <laughs> um, even the um, the resolution between the two of them in Inside Out kind of similar, like <laughs> a little similar to the end of uh, Drop Dead Fred. Um, but uh, yeah, definitely not the film you want to put on for your five year olds. Yeah, I think um, like what uh, I know that uh, uh, I know that at least one of you has a um, yeah has a history with tabletop role-playing games. So what were your thoughts on Onward? Because that was kind of the biggest tone shift Pixar had done. Sure, um, yeah. It was it was really their first, like, quote-unquote fantasy uh, setting, but they grounded it in such a Pixar way that I, it didn't feel necessarily tonally different to me. I really enjoyed it. I uh, We watched it. Uh, shortly after I moved up here to Virginia uh, last year, sort of as COVID was shutting everything down, Disney decided to go ahead and release it to uh, Disney Plus for free um, because theaters were starting to shut down. And so we watched it here at home. But then um, my birthday weekend last year, our local drive-in theater was also playing it. And so... Uh, we got to go to drive-in and see it, which was a pretty cool experience. And I feel like Onward is the kind of movie that benefits a lot from that kind of environment because it is an adventure movie and adventure movies just feel more adventure-y in in an outside setting. Yeah. Yeah. I I unfortunately have not had the pleasure of watching a film at a drive-in. I've wanted to, but uh, there's not really anywhere near where I am that does that. Uh, the closest place would be about two hours drive away. Mm. And uh, given that most drive-throughs don't, at least here, don't seem to play anything until about seven, I don't want to be driving home in pitch black just to <laughs> see that. Sure. Especially since, you know, I have a four-year-old daughter, so we, <laughs> she's not going to sit in the car right. for two hours there to sit in the car to watch something, to sit in the car to go <laughs> Yeah, the nice thing with our drive-in and just when we go typically during the summer is that uh, it's nice enough to sit outside. So my dad brings his pickup truck and we put chairs in the bed of the car. So we're able to sit outside and stretch our legs rather than being confined (laughs) to uh, car seats. 
Uh, nice for some, I suppose. <laughs> Definitely recommend it if you can ever, if if you ever end up like on a vacation or something near a drive-in. Like it's it's a fun novelty activity. Yeah, that that's something because um, as far as I know, the nearest drive-in to us is about two hours away, right next to a fairly popular like camping spot. Mm. So if we enjoyed camping. Um, then maybe that would be something we could do. However, we don't. <laughs> we Nicole do not can relate camping. to that. Literally same. I want nothing to do with the outdoors. Yeah, like my, my in-laws are huge into glamping, uh, which uh, anyone <laughs> that knows that it basically means they have an RV that costs more than their house does. Um, and they will take that and just park it on, <laughs> on the spot and that will be their home away from home. Uh, for a time um so yeah that, that that's what they do and like if i absolutely could not get a hotel and just stay in said hotel then uh, an rv would be an acceptable choice however i would not intentionally decide to spend my holiday <laughs> um in one Literally so many other things I could do on my holidays. I do I don't understand glamping people. Um Caroline <laughs> is a glamping person. I don't get it. Um if I'm going away, I might as well uh be comfortable cuz then what's the point of leaving my house if I'm not going to be comfortable? Um sim- similar to like people that are like, "Oh, my husband really wants a boat and wants to like go and do like trips and stuff." And I'm like, "If it doesn't have a buffet and a casino, it isn't seaworthy." Um, I just, I just don't get it. Like I I'm leaving my house that I pay good money for to go do something else. And and I'm like, I I can't, I can't make that connection of like why I would voluntarily go somewhere else that isn't as comfortable as my own place. Um, especially, especially if it's within like driving distance or something like, you know, if I get on a plane to like go across the ocean, you know, like go to Europe or go to Africa or go to, you know, South America, even like, okay, yeah, I'm going to be staying in a hotel, you know, different types of accommodations, like understandable, but going fucking camping is just just not for me. (laughs) (laughs) No, my, my family's gone camping since I was pretty small. We actually used to go like legit tent camping, but um, my mom got real tired of that real fast. Um, so we have a camper now in the family, and uh, it currently lives on the uh, river property where my parents are building up by the Potomac. Uh, but most of the time, for the last 12 years, um, we have used it on holiday weekends to go uh, to the lake down at the Virginia North Carolina border. They, I think one time brought it all the way to Florida and camped with it at Fort Wilderness at Disney world. Uh, I believe, I believe that's a thing that happened and they've, they've taken it lots of other places. My dad's best friend, actually, he and his wife retired to their RV. Technically it's a camper. It's a fifth wheel. So I'd rather die. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, they've been, they've been able to travel the country at very low cost and because their permanent address is in Florida, they pay no state income tax. Uh, and it's it's a very popular choice for a lot of folks who are retiring right now. It's, it's kind of two ends of the spectrum. It's either you retire to your RV or you retire on a cruise ship. Uh, I was going to say, it sounds like they were uh, 
Lone Star and Barfing is up. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that uh, yeah, my my in laws, um, they are DVC members. Oh, my parents are that so, too. Yeah, they they drive their RV from Ohio to Florida at least twice a year, um, and uh, they're very well known down there. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, my my father in law has an obscene number of uh, uh, vacation points. Uh, <laughs> he's tried to explain that system to me before. <laughs> It's it. impossible. <laughs> DVC is very complicated. Disney went through a lot of uh, overly complicated steps to make DVC not a timeshare because they wanted it to be better than that because timeshares are often a scam. Um, yeah. But it, they ended up just making it really, really complicated. It's, no, yeah, like it's he, unnecessarily like complicated. We, yeah, we, uh, we were waiting to go on the Galaxy's Edge ride together and so i i used part of that time to ask him how it worked like to to get that insight into it and he was able to walk me through um you know some of the equivalent costs and uh, some of these things and even though he went step by step and was giving me the equivalent values and all of this stuff we reached the end of the conversation and i still couldn't understand um how it worked because based on everything he told me, it sounded like he still paid more money up front than he would have paid if he'd just gone on holiday <laughs> anyway. Uh, it depends but, on where you go. Yeah. Like, but, he, like yeah, yeah, he gave me, like, he was telling me how much he spent on, on some of the points before, how much they are now, like, what they're the equivalent of. Um, and, like, I think I need to see it all written down. <laughs> And I just see the flowchart and be able to work out my own maths for it. Because There are people whose job it is at Disney World to do that specific job. They they only yep. work with DVC sales. Uh, yep. And uh, yeah, he, he has talked to many of those people over the years. <laughs> so when I was yeah. in a queue uh, for Peter Pan when I was a child, I decided to count to a thousand. Uh, that would be a better use of your time. <laughs> did you make it to a thousand? I did. Peter Pan's a long queue, long man. Queue. <laughs> yeah, uh, I took my daughter on the Peter Pan ride. I think we were waiting in that for, I think it was about a 25 minute wait. Um, That's we really there. good. Yeah, gener- yeah, generally, Peter Pan is an hour plus without breaking a sweat. Uh, like when when they're full capacity, not COVID and stuff. Yeah, yeah. but um, yeah, I counted to a thousand and then I hit a thousand and I was like, "What do I do now?" Okay, guess I'm done. <laughs> well, luckily we were clo- c- close, um, but yeah, it was that. That's still still a better use of your time than trying to understand DVC. And and, and my grand and my grandfather bought into DVC the year that it opened. So like I, I say that from <laughs> a realm of experience. Uh, it's 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 very complicated. Now, granted, that queue is a lot better than it used to be when we were kids. It's like very interactive now. You can uh, interact with Tinkerbell as your shadow on the wall uh, in the nursery as you walk walk through the queue. Uh, but it's I've I've only done it once. 
<laughs> oh yeah, no, we didn't have any of that in the '90s. It was just those shield-looking things. Uh, I think it was, or maybe it was supposed to be sails on a ship. I can't remember. But yeah, there was nothing to do in queue. Virtual queues and like interactive queues and stuff. Like they didn't give a damn about us in the '90s. They were like, "You're gonna sit in this line and you're gonna like it because you're gonna get on this ride." And I can't tell you how many fucking queues we stood in when we did summer <laughs> vacations at Disney World in the '90s. Um, you know, my my parents. Uh, Lost many, many, many hours of their life in the Dumbo queue for me to go ride Dumbo for like a minute and a half, just for me to turn around and go, let's do that again. Let's so we just again. turn around and sit the Dumbo queue again. <laughs> yeah, my, yeah, my, because I have a daughter, I ended up going on the one ride I promised myself I would never, ever ride on again. Small world? And it is, it's a small world, yep. <laughs> Now, luckily, the time we went on it, either my hearing has gotten that much worse, <laughs> or the sound system was not working as loud as it should have been. So it was fairly muted throughout the entire thing. So it was basically imagine if uh, so imagine if someone was listening to Shrek in the other room. And you get that, welcome to June, like that. That was <laughs> the level song, that I could yeah. hear the, the music. Um, so like, it, was, it was manageable. Um, and now I, I will never go on that ride again. <laughs> I'm not doing it. It's a tough sell. <laughs> it is a tough sell for people. I understand the premise behind it. I don't understand why people choose to ride it. I liked it uh, as a I kid, um, especially since like... I always hated it. <laughs> especially since like you get like exposure to like and i really liked learning about history and i liked learning about other cultures so like seeing all of that and like seeing people's interpretations obviously there's some appropriation that we can talk about but like when you know uh when, when we're talking about the the things that they did right um I, I really liked that piece but like it wasn't one of those rides that we would just do over and over and over again it was no dumbo in my mind um but you know uh, the music is uh, a choice. It's very much an earworm, and for all the wrong reasons. But yeah. you know, I, I, you have to do it. Like I, I think it's one of those rides that you have to do in order to gain the experience. If you never go on it again after that, that's totally justifiable. But I think it's one of those that you have to do. Yeah, I and mean, I, I'm lucky enough now that I watch Shrek enough times that even if someone tries to get it's a small world stuck in my head, I get the Julok song instead. <laughs> and you're set. So, you're okay. That'll be stuck yeah, in your head instead, which is a yeah, I'm, amazing parody. Yeah, I'm absolutely fine with that. Also, the only way song gets stuck in my head is if I don't know the words and I know all the words to the Julok song. So um, you just sing through so, it, and then you're good. Pretty much, I don't even need to sing through it. I just know the words. Wow. Like the only reason songs get stuck in my head is because I don't know them all, and so I get stuck on bits of the song because I can't get past it. And actually, speaking of music, um, the only film that's come out that uh, we haven't even tangentially touched on then would be Soul. So both of you appear to have uh, seen it, since you didn't list it as a film you haven't seen. Uh, so what did you guys think of Soul? Because that was even more than Coco, I think that was a like a real sort of deep dive into like what that culture and you know I say that as a you know, as a white man that grew up in England um, I have absolutely 
no concept of uh, the black man in New York uh, type type culture, but um, uh, based on everything I, I've read and everything that I've heard from people, like, it seems like it was a film that very much hit to the heart of that. So, like, uh, so what did you guys think of it? I thought that it was a lot more cerebral in nature than Coco or Inside Out, right? Coco really hit you hard in the feelings, and they were just unapologetic about it. Um, I think that Soul was a lot more cerebral. I definitely felt things at the end of it, don't get me wrong. Um, But I think that it was a, a lot more cerebral in nature because it is talking about a concept that literally none of us know about right it's 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 such an the the afterlife is such a concept that is you know has been debated since the dawn of time um having this um manifestation of the afterlife um especially after you know following someone who believes their purpose is music and it's what gives them joy um not being able to use that essentially like missing their shot um before they die and they're supposed to be moving to the great beyond um that is a a a tough concept to grasp and i think especially after the year that we had in 2020 um you know putting a, a spotlight onto something of you know don't waste your time doing something that you're settling for. Make sure you're following your passion. For me, that was that was very exposing uh, for me personally, just because, you know, I, I luckily have been able to keep my job throughout the pandemic, but it prompted me to make sure that I am giving attention and time and resources to things that I love. Um, so, when I do move to the great beyond, whatever is on the other side, if anything, I would not potentially look back and hold regret. Um, and, and, you know, there's, um, there's, there's a, there's a piece of it where Tina Fey's character 22 is, you know, trying to find her own purpose, but purpose doesn't have to be this great grand gesture, you know, being a, a, a jazz musician, you know, and, and being famous, uh, you know, it's it's the little things. It's enjoying pizza. It's it's being on walks. It's enjoying petting a cat. You know, it's it's all of these what what we sometimes see as these small insignificant things, but combined uh, with your lived experiences gives you that purpose and that joy definitely i i only watched it today Uh, today was (laughs) today was my very first uh viewing of the movie i think it was definitely more abstract and more cerebral than something like inside out which deals with you know a a similar concept of sort of peering inside a phenomena that nobody really knows about and personifying it um i think Inside Out did it more concretely, and the one thing we like to talk about in our podcast is the rules that are established of the world in the film, and it did feel like the rules of the great before and the great beyond were a little more loosely defined uh, than, than the rules maybe in Inside Out or some other Pixar films. I did enjoy it a lot, and I think that... It has so many different layers to the message that it's trying to convey that it speaks differently to different people at different stages of life or even different people at the same stages of life. You know, I I got out of it more the sense of 
it is not only one thing in life that gives you purpose. Your your purpose on this earth is not just this one singular thing that you were meant and destined to do and then it's over. It's a whole depth and breadth of actions and things and relationships that give meaning and joy and purpose to your life. And if you only focus on the one little thing that you think is the one thing you're here for, then you miss out on living your life and on enjoying all of these other things that can bring you joy and meaning. And I think that that's a really important lesson to learn, especially in corporate capitalist culture that values the hustle so much and, you know, puts so much worth and emphasis on your career, especially, you know, growing up in the public education system, particularly in the county where I grew up, I was thinking about my future major, my future career when I was in the eighth grade. And that is really early for a kid to decide what they want to do with their life. And here I am, you know, however many years later, having already gone through like four different job fields and none of them are what I even went to college for. So it's it's a valuable message to me and and one that I'm glad that Pixar is amplifying because it it reminds me that I'm still doing okay even though, you know, the one thing that I paid, you know, a, a pretty penny for to define what I'm good at in life. It's not the only thing I'm good at. It's not the only thing I'm here to do. And I think to pivot um, a little bit, but staying within the film itself, I know you you mentioned, uh, you know, the representation of the Black experience. Um, I, you know, obviously, as, as someone who is, is not a person of color, I'm, I'm, I'm about as white as uncooked chicken. Um, uh, you know, I I think from from my perspective, I think it's important to have better representation on on screen um you know focusing on on characters of color um and i know that pixar uh dialed into a lot of black actors black producers black writers black uh, singers black songwriters making sure that if they were going to portray the experience of black americans uh, that they were going to do it you know respectfully and relatably um, you know, to to make sure that that representation was was on screen and and done well. Um, you know, obviously, again, it's it's not something that I can speak to on on the perspective, um, or you know, being able to walk a mile in those shoes at all. Um, but I would say, from my perspective at least, I like that there is that additional representation, and and I think that that's critical. I think that. Um, you know, progress is slow and painful, but if we are getting progress in the right direction with representation, then that's, that's what we're, that's what we're doing right. Um, you know, we're, we're not here to just pat ourselves on the back and say, yay, we're doing it now. No, let's keep that pedal to the metal and, and let's keep it going. This is a good step. This should be a norm. Agreed. Yeah. And, and I think it's important, like you mentioned, that we... Disney really dialed into having black uh, cast members and black crew members um, throughout the production of this film. Kemp Powers actually co-directed the film and co-wrote the film. And he is the first uh, African-American to do so at Pixar to direct or write a, a film 
for Pixar, which like, how did it take this long for us to get here? Like, good, good on Disney and Pixar for doing it, but like, damn, y'all slow at this. Uh, <laughs> and then the music largely was composed by two white guys, but all of the jazz compositions and arrangements were done by a black musician, John Baptiste, um, who's recorded with lots of different artists over the years. Um, so glad that he was involved. Wish he would have gotten more credit, more opportunity to be involved. Yeah. Now, uh, I I will say in in defense of effectively Nine Inch Nails, um, the <laughs> uh, um, the the music that they did probably like was uh, the best fit for the parts of the film they did. So obviously the the great beyond the great before and uh, all the transition between like you know they did, did that sound that Trent Reznor has like did very much oh, that like, fit I'm, that perfectly i'm not knocking the music i think Trent Reznor <laughs> and Atticus Ross did a great job and i mean clearly so did a lot of other people because they're getting award nominations and wins for it yeah um, i just wish that um, if you're gonna center a movie on jazz music, you need to involve more black <laughs> jazz musicians. No, yep, <laughs> absolutely. Um, uh, and it's now something that I found interesting about the film when I looked it up. The uh, uh, the cast members that surprised me when I found out they're in this uh, first and foremost with the. Uh, Richard Iowadi, just because I'm a huge IT crowd I love fan, him. He's so <laughs> and j- just to have Moss as uh, one of the <laughs> one of the Jerry's was fantastic. Uh, and then something I did not realize until I looked up the cast is that uh, the voice of Terry is Moana's grandmother. Yes, Rachel House. So, <laughs> She's great. So like, yeah, like <laughs> I was like, okay then, wow. <laughs> That would not have put that together. <laughs> no, I, I knew the voice sounded familiar, but I definitely would not have placed it as Rachel House. I knew that it was New Zealand or Maori because that, I've been it's there. That's where, that. that's where we went yeah. to. That's where we went on our honeymoon. So, like, I've, I've heard that accent a fair amount uh, recently, <laughs> but um, could, could not have placed it as Rachel House. Uh, we actually recently released our Moana episode and talk about her a lot. She was really instrumental in uh, releasing Moana in several uh, indigenous language films to the Pacific Islands. Uh, so I really like her as a person. She's a quality human being. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, I think one thing that I have noticed um, just as Pixar have gone on is they really seem to be trying like they they're really willing to to try stuff. I I don't know uh, if you guys have been looking into the different shorts and stuff that they've been putting out on uh, on Disney Plus. Um, the one that I wish I'd written the name of it down. Um, there's one that they brought out uh, relatively recently, where it is about uh, a girl with um, some kind of developmental disability, heavily um hinted at that it's autism unable to actually communicate and she is with uh another boy and like they go out kayaking and so it's like it's him trying to figure out the best way of calming her down when she's having a hard time and like getting that stuff across and it's like i feel like 
Pixar doing what they've been doing and then also Disney starting to do the same thing. Like I'm genuinely looking forward to seeing what's coming next. Uh, like uh, I haven't seen the trailer for Luca yet. Um, I'm, I'm going to check that out at some point this weekend. Uh, and that's going to be coming out soon. Uh, the one thing that I'm genuinely baffled at and unsure as to what they're doing is Lightyear. Oh, I'm excited <laughs> about it. We so at like like the big nerds that we are, um, we heavily dissected all of the announcements at the Disney Plus Investors Day uh, call and press conference that they did um, late last year. And when this uh, the screenshot of the title card of Lightyear was shared among the group, uh, much excitement. Very various different feelings, but generally excitement among all of us. I think was was the uh, consensus. <laughs> yeah, my sibling, now. my sibling really loved uh, the Buzz Lightyear of Star Command TV show growing up. And, well, that was awesome. Uh, I mean, fair enough. I mean, because because we lived in the same house, I obviously watched a whole lot of it as well. Um, so, I mean, I, I I grew up with the the Toy Story extended universe, as it were. Um, obviously some cautious optimism because, uh, you know, Tim Allen really made that role his in the movies and Patrick Warburton really took up that mantle really well, um, for the TV series. So, uh, you know, those are some big shoes to fill, um, you know, regardless of who you think you are or who you think you've pegged for the right person for Lightyear, uh, those are some big shoes to fill and, and big personalities that you have to bring to the stage. So uh, I'm, I am cautiously optimistic. Um, but, you know, obviously I, I know that uh, the same level of apprehension that we felt for Monsters University and Finding Dory and Incredibles 2, you know, these, these other sequels that we've talked about, it's, it's going to go under the microscope too. Um, because these are these are critical franchises and you know they're again Lightyear is going to be filled with a bunch of grown-ass adults like myself uh, in a theater with no child in hand because I, I don't need those kids to see this movie I'm sorry, there for not me. sorry. I'm not sorry about it either um I, I'm yeah. I, I would say that I'm more cautiously optimistic though like yeah I don't know why they've decided to do it but I'm not mad at it so I think the important thing to remember with this film in terms of how we think it's going to turn out is that it's not actually about the Buzz Lightyear that we have grown to know and love during the Toy Story films. It is about the human Buzz Lightyear that the toy is based on. And so that gives it some level of separation and some ability for Pixar to kind of playing with the character a little bit more and not make him, you know, exactly the same, give him some different personality quirks and traits. Um, and I think that choosing an iconic actor currently in the Disney portfolio, uh, like Chris Evans, who, which is who they've chosen, uh, is a smart choice, but I think he is going to feel the pressure. Now, granted, in terms of pressure with iconic roles, he has a pretty good track record. Uh, <laughs> but he he definitely has some big shoes to fill, as as Nicole said. Yeah, I mean, he definitely knocked it out of the park as Lucas Lee in uh, Scott Pilgrim. So uh, yeah, hopefully he'll do well in this one. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, no, it is interesting that he's gone 
from Captain America to Captain Buzz Lightyear. Um, pretty much, he's just gone down the hall uh, and changed his name tag. But that's about he's, it. He's um, uh, skip, skipping around in, in the Disney uh, properties. We'll see him in Star Wars next, I'm sure. He found that good yeah. money in Disney and was like, all right, I can do this. I can make myself comfortable here a little while. Yeah, and I, I, I had a, a feeling that, uh, yes, you know, this film is set uh, around the human Buzz Lightyear, um, but I would be shocked if at the end of the film we don't find out that what it is is it's a dramatization within the Toy Story universe and we've and like it kind of zooms out at the end to the toys watching it on tv <laughs> like, or something like that or like bonnie's watching it or something that would so, be like, cute i could buy that I, I, and, and that could be something that they wouldn't even need to have you know the voice cast come back like it would just be the way of linking it there um uh, and then you know maybe like, oh it, yeah it could even be like a, a a documentary or something in uh, in her school, and you just see the thing, and the the narrator for the documentary is Tim Allen. Like, so that, <laughs> that's a I, I can see that. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, it, I mean, we've been talking for quite a while about <laughs> a lot of things Pixar here. Is there anything else you guys wanted to touch on before we kind of wrap things up? I will say I am excited for Luca um, because it is going to be based. Um, in the Italian Riviera, um, I am Italian American, um, so I'm I'm going to be excited to see that on film. Um, they're also using some some Italian actors, Italian producer, Italian director, so they're they're going to be they're going to be digging into that into that area. Um, I am excited for that, and and it looks like it's going to be um, focusing a lot more on those platonic friendships some more. So we're not going to be forced into a love story that nobody asked for, um, thankfully, but. Um, I'm I'm excited for Luca. I'm I'm sad that uh, we're we're not getting it in theaters because COVID just won't quit. But uh, I definitely will be tuning in um, when it gets released in June on Disney Plus. Uh, um, and um, and for anyone that was wondering, the the short film I was talking about earlier is called Loop. I, I had to look that up because I wanted to make sure that uh, I got that out there. Uh, like, as someone that works um, in the field of developmental disabilities, like it is uh, a fantastic portrayal of someone who um, you know, is a little lower. F- I mean, she's not even lower functioning. She just is, you know, unable to effectively communicate in a way that uh, you know people expect. Uh, so, like, it, it's a, a fantastic film about not just you know just having that representation on screen but also you get to see the you know the neurotypical character uh, actually like coming to turn with okay this is the sort of thing that works okay how do we do that and you actually get to see a natural progression of him figuring it out in a way that can kind of teach you know uh, <laughs> young people like hey not everyone <laughs> is able to talk the way you can but uh, you know figure it out work, work out a way to do it so like, yeah I, anyone that hasn't seen it it's only like five minutes long something like that like go check it out yeah definitely uh, have you, to look. caroline did you have any other final thoughts before we uh we finish up here 
I think that we we pretty much touched on everything. I will leave you with what might perhaps be a controversial opinion. Um, mm-hmm. Of the three, well, of the four Toy Story movies, the second one is actually my favorite. I think that's the only sequel on this list that comes equal to the original. Interesting. It's a good one. Okay, I... Number, yeah, the first I, one will always hold a special place in my heart, just absolutely. solely from, for nostalgia reasons. But yeah, I mean, I think I think if we're going to be talking about quality sequels, Toy Story 2 is definitely in contention and Toy Story 3 as well. I mean, Toy Story 4 even, you know, uh, there's the naysayers out there, but it was still an excellent movie. For whatever reason, they were able to strike gold four times with the same franchise. Which is uh, incredible. Incredible. Um so yeah, I think I think that that's absolutely worthy of praise. If 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 you if you find yourself looking for any one set of films to to really define Pixar, it it's going to be the Toy Story films. Uh, there absolutely. are no ifs, ands, or uh, buts about it. Uh, you know, I could I could point to certain films being my favorite, or you know what I view as the magnum opus. But ultimately, when we're looking at foundationally what pixar was founded on and you know when it came to to full-length films and when it comes to its legacy it's gonna be toy story mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i mean toy story uh, unless i'm misremembering this fact is the first feature-length cg film like, i believe the that's first, correct yes, I, full yeah and, full length and I think that's yeah. actually what it won its special achievement Oscar for in yeah. 1995. Yeah, and it, it definitely kicked off such a huge <laughs> field. Um, and uh, I, I'll kind of leave it on one final thing. Um, based on everything that um, has come up as we've been talking, uh, I I kind of was circling ar- around this just in my own head um, before, but it's kind of solidified here. Uh, for me... Pixar is the Western equivalent of Studio Ghibli. Like the the themes that they go for, the type of stories that they tell. Um, obviously, culturally, like very different stories, very different uh, ways of going about it. But uh, like for me, it's the same feeling. Like the same type of thing turn up, the same type of characters, the same focuses that they have. Um, like especially my daughter is huge fan of uh my neighbor totoro um uh, I, i've also got a uh she's watched uh, the cat returns um and uh howl's moving castle big fan of that <laughs> so i've been seeing those um on and off with uh, with everything else that she's been watching and uh um, I, I didn't really realize it until i was starting to put all this together but like yeah i, I genuinely think that Pixar is the closest America will get to their own Studio Ghibli. <laughs> I think that's a fair assessment. A good comparison. Yeah, I would agree with that. And uh, and on that bombshell, uh, <laughs> to borrow from uh, Top Gear, for any of you Top Gear fans out there, um, I, we should probably wrap it up. Uh, definitely kept you guys long enough. Um, so... First and foremost, then, uh, obviously, thank you guys for coming on. And if anyone did wish to find your own podcast and uh, your own cells on the interwebs, how would they do so? You can take it. So you can find us on pretty much any podcatcher out there. We are Defining Disney Podcast. 
Um, our Twitter is at Defining Disney. Our Facebook is Defining Disney Podcast. Our Instagram is at Defining Disney Podcast. And you can find us on all of those platforms. If you're having trouble finding our show, find us on social media. We have links pretty much everywhere. Uh, you can also find us at our website, DefiningDisneyPodcast.com, where you can join our email, Ohana, and have some really cool freebies like our rubric sample, uh, the score along guide, as well as our sneak peek calendar sent to you uh in your email for free and then you can also find us at kofi kofi slash kofi.com slash defining disney if you would like to support the show um we are trying to upgrade some of our equipment and continue to cover our monthly hosting costs and you get some really cool bonus stuff from us uh early access to bonus episodes uh discord server access if you become a monthly member uh, we're sending out decals shortly that have a really cool logo on them designed um, by one of our friends and lots more to come. <laughs> yeah, just show me up, why don't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, um, sadly, uh, <laughs> because of everything else that's going on, I don't have the time or disposable income to even consider <laughs> starting to do most of the things you guys just mentioned. Uh, but... Uh, but yes, uh, seriously, thank you guys for coming on and uh, anyone that is still listening after this point, do go <laughs> check them out. Um, and uh, as I said at the beginning, if you want to get a hold of myself uh, and uh, mention anything about anything that's been said in any of the episodes, uh, again, just search Blokebusters, not Blockbusters, Blokebusters, make sure you get that <laughs> right. Uh, Google is very picky. And we'll keep telling you, oh, didn't you mean Blockbusters? No, you did not. <laughs> you meant Blockbusters. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, you, you'll find us easily enough. Um, uh, but, uh, yes, one last time, thank you, Caroline and Nicole, very much for coming on. It was a blast talking Pixar with you guys. And uh, I will be talking to everyone else <laughs> again real soon. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. In case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening. Hang on a minute, lads. I've got a great idea. Uh. Louis, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.